All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. In today's episode, we are talking all about this Falcons defense and its future under new defensive coordinator Dean Pease. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP, still going strong, however, on Twitter at Falcfans, and of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode is all about that side of the ball that has not gotten that much coverage in recent weeks, given all the quote unquote drama and the ongoing saga involving the offense and Julio Jones. And we'll pay a little attention to that defensive side of the ball on today's episode, talking about, at least in my eyes, why defensive scheme in the traditional sense doesn't matter nearly as much. We'll talk about the Falcons coverage and focusing on AJ Terrell's future and what it means for the team's secondary long-term, as well as focusing on that pass rush and how much we can expect under new defensive coordinator Dean Pease ability to scheme will compensate for their lack of horses up front. But before we get into that, I do want to plug the Peacock and Williamson podcast, one of the national podcasts covering the NFL on the Lockdown Podcast Network, where NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson are covering every game, every team, and every move. Check out the Peacock and Williamson podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's start things off talking about the Falcons and the importance of scheme. And in the past, I've been asked questions about scheme and the Falcons switching to a three, four and what about this? And I generally am dismissive and to better understand why I need to explain sort of my general philosophy when it comes to not only defense, but defensive scheme. I think scheme matters, but I don't think, um, at least in the ways that most fans think about it, it tends to be a little bit overrated. And that's because defenses are reactionary. Uh, they're always going to be at a disadvantage because they're always going to be reacting to what the offense is doing. That's why misdirection plays like play action tend to be so effective. You as a defense, you know, you're necessarily not knowing whether the offense is going to zig versus it's going to zag. And then if they looks like they're going to zig and then they zag, you know, that's going to give a significant competitive advantage to the offense. So it forces defenses in a certain extent to be somewhat vanilla, particularly when it comes to coverage so they can cover as many bases as possible. And I think when you're talking about scheme in today's NFL, it's really coverage that distinguishes one defense from another. For years, we have distinguished defensive schemes by what their fronts were, whether it was a 3-4 or a 4-3. And because in the past, that's generally how you did things. But nowadays, most teams run hybrid fronts. Not to mention teams are in nickel defense 65 to 75% of the time nowadays. And really the only difference between those two fronts in terms of scheme um, is whether the two edge rushers are standing up or they have their hands in the dirt. That's why for the past two years, whenever I've been asked questions about the Falcons moving towards a three, four defense or changing their fronts. And I've generally been dismissive uh, in saying that for the most part has been, will be, pretty inconsequential coverage shells really differentiate defenses 
you know, you got to think of it like a, a sound equalizer, right? On your favorite music app, uh, where you can sort of lower the bass or raise the treble or whatever. And, you know, this defense runs more zone. This defense runs more man coverage. This team runs more or less cover two versus cover three versus cover four, et cetera. And each one of those coverages has vulnerabilities that offenses know how to exploit, which is why teams must disguise their coverages. But you can't rely on that alone because veteran quarterbacks especially are going to be still able to figure out what you're doing within a second or two of the snap and pick you apart, which puts that emphasis back on your ability to win up front with pressure and get home before that quarterback can figure that stuff out. Now, pressure is where defenses, I think, do have some ability to dictate to the offense in the NFL. And by that, you know, I don't mean a team's ability to get pressure primarily with four guys, but really bringing extra rushers in those five and six man blitzes that teams will do uh, from time to time. You know, when you think back of who are generally considered to be the best defensive play callers over the last you know decade or two in the NFL, the guys that consistently seem to have success regardless of what team they're coaching on, you have names like Todd Bowles and Wade Phillips and Rex Ryan, among many others that sort of top that list. And it's interesting that when you look at sort of the commonalities between those types of coordinators, they tend to run three, four defenses. And I think that's one of the reasons why people tend to get excited about, Oh, the, the move to the three, four. But in reality, the reason why those coaches run those defenses is because traditionally they come from an era, you know, in the nineties where the three, four and the, the, the dichotomy between the three, four and four, three was much more stark. And typically the advantage of the three, four traditionally has been, it's easier to disguise pressure in a classic three, four, you can have three down linemen, two outside linebackers on the line of scrimmage. And you're also going to be able to put your two inside linebackers to sugar those a gaps, which means you can have up to anywhere between five and seven defenders lining up on or near the line of scrimmage. And when offenses are adjusting their protections at the line of scrimmage, they don't know who's coming. They almost can surely a bet that four, maybe five, even six of those guys are potentially coming, but they don't know which four or five. And so they have to account and it creates confusion in the offense. But going back to the previous point, there's nothing really stopping a 4-3 defense from doing the same thing. There's no hard and fast rule that says, oh, you can't do similar things with a 4-3 front uh, that you've traditionally done with a 3-4 front. And again, everybody runs hybrid fronts nowadays anyway. So even on those plays where you do want to present that type of more aggressive blitz heavy look, you can easily switch to a 3-4 front if you're a 4-3 team because everybody's teaching the same things and teaching that versatility. And so... The reason why this pressure matters is because when the quarterback sees that pressure, his instinctually is going to be compelled to get rid of the ball quickly. And the quicker he gets rid of the ball, the harder it is for those receivers to run downfield routes. And thus that potential potentially limits their ability to generate explosive plays. And on that notion of explosive plays, that's kind of the core debate behind whether you should build your defense back to front or front to back, meaning you invest the bulk of your resources in the coverage on the back end or in the pass rush on the front end. And the core reason why teams play uh, zone coverage is not to give up those big explosive plays over the top. And you can succeed playing that style of defense, building more of that front to back type of defense, dropping seven into coverage and trying to get reliable pressure. If you can get reliable pressure with the four guys up front. 
And the mistake that is applied to the Falcons under both Mike Smith and Dan Quinn is that they didn't really invest enough resources despite playing those zone heavy coverages in the guys up front. Mike Smith essentially ignored the pass rush entirely for the seven years he was here. And while D DQ invested more in the pass rush in the front, particularly over the first, you know, two, three seasons that he was here in Atlanta, that kind of dried up circa 2018 and the defense never was able to fully come together and build upon those early investments. Now that's not the only reason why the Dan Quinn defense didn't come together because at least over those first few years under Dan Quinn, the strength of their defense was arguably their back end coverage, their ability to man up wide receivers in man coverage, except the Falcons, unlike other teams that can do that, weren't necessarily tying that to an aggressive blitzing attack. You look at teams like Baltimore under Don Martindale, and they have those coverage line cover cover corners like Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey. You see Wade Phillips with his success in Denver, especially with Aqib Tlaib and Chris Harris, Todd Bowles with the revamped Bucks secondary in recent years, and how well Carlton Davis and guys like Antoine Winfield have played. Rex Ryan in his heyday had guys like Darrell Revis and Antonio Cromartie. You see this with Miami with the investments they made this past offseason at the cornerback position, signing Byron Jones, drafting Noah Igbenogany in round one to join Xavier Howard. And those teams are basically saying, we're going to lock you down in man coverage and we're going to be very aggressive with our blitzing. We're going to throw as much junk at you. And it works if you have the horses on the back end to cover. And at the end of the day, you know, I think defense is really about not scheme, but how many horses do you have? And scheme only matters in determining where you put your horses. Right. And you can run any scheme that you want if you have the right horses. Now, if you're asking me, my personal preference is that, you know, I would probably value a little bit more building back the front. You know, I think being great on the back end and trying to be a little bit more aggressive with your blitzes would be where I would lean in terms of that sort of spectrum. Um, and, you know, I think this is maybe the direction that the Falcons are going with Dean Pease, but that's going to be a big question. You know, I think Pease is very versatile. I don't think he's particularly married to one approach in particular. Although I think his history does suggest that he is more of that back to front guy that wants to dial up pressure versus the blitz, but he's never been as aggressive as I can tell blitzing as his successor in Baltimore and Martindale has been these last couple of years. I think Dean Pease prefers to be a little bit more versatile, a little bit more flexible in his approach. And I think that can both be considered a strength as well as a weakness for Dean Pease's defenses, which can lead you to being more of a jack of all trades and a master of none. And we're going to continue this conversation by talking about sort of where the Falcons are going to try to invest their horses, particularly starting out with the back end and how important this upcoming season is going to be in order to evaluate if where, if and where the horses that they're going to need as we continue today's Locked On Falcons podcast. But before we get there, guys, of course, I have to plug the NBA side of the Locked On Podcast Network, where you can find a daily podcast devoted to your favorite NBA team, including the Atlanta Hawks. Obviously, the Hawks are dealing with a, a major injury to one of their core players. And you can find out more by checking out the Locked On Hawks podcast hosted by Brad Rowland on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
So if you're tired of getting killed by daily fantasy sports experts, you don't have to play the experts. You can play the house with stat heroes. That hero is the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts the player in control and winning within reach. Here's how it works. Stat hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head to head fantasy matchup. You name your stakes winner. Take all you have the advantage. Stat hero is showing you their lineups and the competition ahead of time. Pick the lineup that you think you can beat. Go head to head with no pool of opponents play stat hero now and change the odds by going to stathero.com slash locked on sign up for free. And right now you can get three times back on your first play. They're giving a 300% match. That's unheard of by going to stathero.com slash locked on stathero.com slash locked on. So we're talking about finding the right horses for your defense. It's kind of like finding the right parts for your vehicle. And if only there was a website to do so when it comes to defense, but there is a website when it comes to the, parts for your car and that's rockauto.com they have everything from engine parts brake parts tail lamps motor oil even new floor mats you can get anything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door the rockauto.com catalog is unique it's easy to navigate as you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose by brand specification and the price that you prefer and those prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers why spend up to twice as much for the same parts just go to rockauto.com right now see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in the how did you hear about us box so that they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com so the issue with the falcons when it comes to their defense currently is that they don't necessarily really have the horses to be married to one particular approach it doesn't mean that they're devoid of, of talent or devoid of pieces but we have yet to sort of really see a strength emerge. And I think 2021 is going to be an important year to determine which direction that the team is going to continue to build in the future under this new regime, which is partially why this past offseason, when everybody was insisting, hey, the Falcons need to heavily upgrade their defense. Um, you know, I'm like, yeah, well, you know, they can kind of wait. You know, it's, it's kind of a, an evaluation year. You know, I've mentioned before the Falcons are going to have an opportunity next offseason uh, with increased cap space, or at least they should have that opportunity once they rework, extend some contracts or, or whatever the case may be. And so you kind of want to get this year under their belt as an evaluation year before you kind of figure out which direction that you really want to go. I've talked about this before when it's like you pick it. I don't really care what path you pick. Just pick a path and go on it. But it's hard to really pick a path because right now so much is in flux on the defense. And one of those players that you need to sit here and evaluate is A.J. Terrell, their top pick a year ago. And I said this when we did our cornerback review back in January. I'm very eager to see how much growth A.J. Terrell shows in year two. We saw a lot of promise with him as a rookie, but we also saw some concerns. Some of those same concerns that we saw on college tape when it came to the best of the best wide receivers that he faced, you know, those guys gave him problems. So whether it's the really big guys or the really fast guys, you know, and obviously the guys that combine both, you know, can give AJ Terrell a lot of issues. We saw in the second half of 2020, the Falcons asked AJ Terrell to be more of that shadow corner. And he struggled in that role. There was a three week stretch against the saints, the Chargers, and the bucks from weeks 13 to 15, where they were asking him primarily to shadow Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen, and Mike Evans. And he lined up when he lined up against those guys in man coverage, according to my charting, he gave up 159 yards on 16 targets, giving up an 81% completion rate, a 75% success rate. And then you look at the six times he was targeted on third downs in those three games, 
all three of those guys combined to convert five of those six third downs. Now, ideally you want a completion rate. If you're going to be a top end cover corner, top end shadow corner, you want that completion rate to be below 60. It was 81% with AJ Terrell. You want that success rate to be below 50. It was 75% with AJ Terrell. And you want that conversion rate on third downs to be somewhere in the thirties. And of course it was 83% with AJ Terrell during that three game stretch. So simply it wasn't good enough. And so basically after Mike Evans burned him for a bunch of plays in the third quarter of that week, 15 bucks game, the Falcons were like, no Moss, we're not going to do this anymore. And then they switched him back to being more of that left corner that he's going to park on one side and cover whoever's lined up against him. And he did much better in terms of my charting coverage wise over the last two games against the chiefs and box, right? Where he only gave up 42% completion rate on 12 targets had a 33% success rate and was not targeted once on third downs because essentially teams found greener pastures to target elsewhere because they knew how good he was on that side of the field. So the question with AJ Terrell is going to be, is he going to be that guy that is a good corner that can line up on his side of the field as he was at the end of last year and and was for most of last season and be able to lock down his side of the field? Or does he have the upside that when the Falcons are facing wide receiver ones like Kenny Galladay and Debo Samuel, Michael Thomas and Mike Evans and Terry McLaurin, Stephon Diggs and Amari Cooper this year, can he be that shadow corner? Right. And so the question is going to be how much growth he shows this upcoming season. Is he able to push through that ceiling that he seemed to have a year ago as a rookie where he didn't have that ability to be that shadow number one corner? And so that's going to be a big part of AJ Terrell's evaluation this season. And I think where he falls on that spectrum in terms of how good he can be will also influence how much investment the Falcons have at the other cornerback position. You know, I think it's a scenario where the Falcons are almost certainly going to invest in the other cornerback spot. It's just a question of how much. And obviously, you know, no offense to the Fabian Moreau's and whoever wins the nickel cornerback job, which I'm assuming is going to be Darren Hall. But I, you know, maybe those guys play well enough where that's not seen cornerback is not seen as a priority position to upgrade in addition to AJ Terrell's growth. But I feel like this year is about trying to find and learn about the pieces you have, right? The better AJ Terrell is essentially, again, going back to that equalizer analogy, like if the better AJ Terrell is the less you need your other number two to be right. Depending on what type of scheme you want. Again, if you, if you're looking for the best cornerback duo, like Baltimore has with Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey, it still means that you need to invest highly in your cornerback room to go get a guy that is, as on the same level as AJ Terrell or better than AJ Terrell to tag team with him. So it's going to be an interesting conversation to sort of see where the Falcons learn about the pieces that they actually have. And essentially peas in all his talk of, of trying to scheme up the difference that he's going to make in terms of what areas this team is lacking. Is it lacking at that cornerback spot? Is it lacking at the safety position? Is it lacking at the linebacker position? And obviously the big area that we have big concerns on, because we've had these concerns here in Atlanta for the last, what, 10, 15 years is the concerns about the pass rush. And that's where we'll continue and wrap up today's locked on Falcons talking about this defense. Um, but before we get there, guys, I do want to plug the NHL side of the lockdown podcast network, where you can find a daily podcast devoted to your favorite hockey team, find them all on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
So guys, did you know that Built Bar, which is the best tasting protein bar on the market, has nine delicious flavors? Whether you're a fan of coconut almond like me, or you prefer cookies and cream, cherry barcia, double chocolate, peanut butter brownie, mint brownie, salted caramel, coconut, or raspberry, there's something for everyone, and you can try them all with a mix box, getting two each of all nine flavors. Built Bars are great. They taste great. They taste just like a candy bar. They're soft and easy to chew. They contain 100% real chocolate, but it's not just about the taste. They're healthy, too. They're low in sugar and calories, high in protein and fiber. I like using them as low calorie meal replacements for breakfast or lunch. You can use them to give yourself an energy boost pre or post workout. As you work your way into that summer beach body. Now that quarantine has been lifty, use built bars. However you want, just head over to builtbar.com. Use the promo code locked 15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code locked 15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. So when we're talking about the pass rush, Dean Pease has already said, gone on the record, that he's going to blitz from everywhere. And that's not really a change from what the Falcons were a year ago. The Falcons realized once Raheem Morris became the interim head coach that they needed to make an adjustment because they were not able to get home and get pressure on quarterbacks because in large part due to the injuries to guys like Dante Fowler and Marlon Davidson and Tack McKinley, they couldn't reliably get pressure with just four guys up front. So they dialed up a lot more blitzes. Right, According to Pro Football Reference, the Falcons blitzed on 32.9% of their plays, which was the 12th most in the NFL last season. And that's a big increase from the 24.5% blitz rate that they had in 2019, which was the 11th fewest or 22nd ranked uh, defense. And in 2018, that number was even lower. Their ranking was even lower as they were the 14th lowest with a 21.5% blitz rate. Interesting enough, according to Pro Football Reference, the Titans in 2018 in Dean Pease's first year, blitzed on about 29.8% of their blast plays, which was ninth highest. But then that dipped to 24.6 in 2019, where they were only one spot ahead of the Falcons at the 21st ranked blitz heavy team in 2019. Now, because of that, when we're talking about blitzing from everywhere, I don't think you're really going to see anything that's drastically different from what you've seen from previous Falcons defenses. You go back to 2018 in a, in Tennessee, at least among the Titans uh, defensive backs, Logan Ryan was their nickel cornerback, rushed the quarterback on 32 plays, which was about the same as what Brian Poole did that season under Marquand Manuel, where he had 35 pass rushing snaps. The main difference in terms of their defensive backs with Tennessee and, and Atlanta is that Kevin Bayard and Kenny Vaccaro combined the blitz to quarterback that year 39 times, while the Falcons' main safeties that year, which were primarily Jordan Richards and DeMonte Casey in terms of snaps, uh, only blitzed eight times. Now, in 2019, you rarely saw the Falcons dial up blitzes from their secondary, with Casey's 13 pass rush snaps leading the team from that unit. Meanwhile, in Tennessee, Vaccaro saw his role as a pass rusher increase with 60, 63 snaps alone. And then you had Bayer adding another 18. And you also saw 46 pass rush snaps from Logan Ryan, which was more than he had the previous year. Now you compare that to this past year in 2020, where Keanu Neal blitzed about 33 times and Isaiah Oliver blitzed 17 times. So that was a little bit closer, at least in 2020, to what you regularly saw under Dean Pease in Tennessee. But those nickel blitzes are likely the one main difference. And back in the day with Poole, I thought one of the interesting things that Marquand Manuel liked to do was whenever an opposing team 
showed an empty look with no running back in the backfield, the Falcons liked to dial up. Those were the times where the Falcons would like to dial up their Brian pool blitzes. And it was pretty effective. And I'm, I'll be very curious if we see a similar strategy that Dean Pease is going to implement here this upcoming season. Now, when it comes to the linebackers and how Dean Pease utilizes those guys, it's not, at least when you look at the number of snaps, it's not too dissimilar to what we have seen with guys like Devondre Campbell in previous years in Atlanta, or what we saw from Deion Jones and Foye Olakun last year. So for example, last year, after Raheem Morris took over, Olakun rushed the quarterback 111 times in those final 11 games under Morris. That's about 10 pass rush snaps per game, which was basically what Rashawn Evans had in 2019 under Dean Pease with 158 pass rush snaps in 16 games. And that's why you've heard me say things like schematically, I don't think Dean Pease is going to be doing things drastically different than what Raheem Morris did this past year on Sundays, which is basically Basically, while I, I, I tend continue to sort of downplay the scheme change stuff, because I think the scheme is going to be similar. It'll be tweaked, but it'll be similar. Right. My hope for Dean Pease is not really what he does on Sunday. It's going to be the Monday through Saturday stuff. As I've said, mentioned before, I hope that he improves that area because that to me was a big problem area for the Falcons defense where they lack discipline. Right. And I'm not picking on this player, but for example, in the past, I had noticed times where a team would use jet sweep motion. And that's obviously what I'm talking about where they would fake a jet seat with a wide receiver would run behind the offensive line and fake like he's getting the ball in jet sweep. And then Deion Jones would almost always consistently bite on that run action. And thus he would vacate his gap. And I saw this, my recollection is I saw this happen a bunch in that Packers game or a number, maybe a bunch is too strong a word, but like four or five times, but that's a bunch um, where he would vacate his gap. And then the Packers would fake the jet sweep, hand it off to Aaron Jones. And he would just have like an easy seven or eight yard gain up the middle. And I'm hoping that the difference between Dean Pease is that he's going to do a better job preparing players like Deion Jones and saying, okay, this is what the Packers like to do. They like to use this jet sweep motion. So now you're going to be prepared for it. And when you see it, you need to better maintain your gap and stop playing this hero ball where you're out here trying to let, you know, trying to tackle the guy on the jet sweep. That's someone else's responsibility. That's the nickel cornerback's job or that's the safety's job. You need to stick to what you do. And so it's stuff like that as one of sort of the examples of the sort of the subtleties that I'm hoping that will lead to a better and more consistent overall performance for this Falcons defense, even if you're not getting dramatic scheme changes. So when it comes to the Falcons pass rush, even though we know Dean Pease is going to throw a lot of junk in terms of dialing up those blitzes and blitzing from everywhere, we're probably still talking about a blitz rate that's not going to be too dissimilar to what we saw last year because he never really was more willing to dial up the blitz previously in Tennessee. And so, okay, let's say that means a 30% blitz rate. That means 70% of the time, presumably you're relying on just rushing four guys. And obviously Pease's ability might be able to enhance the pass rush by be creating that junk, but you still need to have four guys that you can reliably get to the quarterback. That's very beneficial to any defense, let alone the Falcons defense. And part of the reason when you look at the Titans, particularly these last two off seasons is they never really had that in Tennessee with four really reliable pass rushers. That's one of the reasons why they invested in edge rushers last year in Jadavion Clowney and Vic Beasley and Bud Dupree this past off season, obviously the Clowney and Beasley did not work out in their favor and they're hoping that Dupree will work out in their favor. But when that Titans pass rush was at its best, you know, they were still, it wasn't just Dean P's scheming up pressure. The bulk of their pressure was being created by guys like Jarrell Casey and Jeffrey Simmons and Cam Wake. 
So I think, again, you're going to have a scenario in Atlanta where the Falcons, for the most part, when we want to get pressure, we're still going to be relying on those guys up front with Grady Jarrett and Dante Fowler and Marlon Davidson becoming their sort of forming the core of their sort of main foursome as three of the four guys. But I think the Falcons would be would benefit from having a fourth guy like wake was for the Titans in 2019 being that sort of situational guy. And that's why you're going to continue to hear now that the Falcons have created cap space for Julio Jones. You're going to continue to hear people pushing for the Falcons to go out there and sign someone like a Melvin Ingram or Jarrell Casey or Justin Houston. And I certainly would not disagree with that would certainly help the Falcons pass rush. You know, I don't think it's going to magically solve their problems and fix their defense, but obviously going back to a similar topic that we talked about a year ago when the Falcons quote unquote settled for Charles Harris to sort of be the extra guy in their pass rush rather than going out and getting someone like a Cam Wake or an Everson Griffin or whatever the case may be, both of whom are technically available as well currently. So they can, you know, fix that problem, but it's going to be a situation where every little better player that the Falcons add is going to help. And now I personally think like when it comes to adding help, like while I, I'm a big fan of Jarrell Casey, I do think it makes more sense for the Falcons to add an edge rusher because if you add an interior guy that could potentially stunt Marlon Davidson's development. And it also means that if you add an edge rusher, you're not necessarily putting all your eggs in the Dante Fowler basket, which we know it was, did not work out in the Falcons favor last year. And, you know, part of the reason why I think this is important is because at least based off of what I've seen, you know, while Dean Pease is very willing to blitz from everywhere and scheme up all this stuff, I don't think he's that particularly effective from what I've seen at designing those blitzes and creating actual pressure, at least during his time in Tennessee, than what the Falcons were, you know, last year. And that's why you've heard me say things like, oh, well, blitzing, you know, only took the Falcons so far last year. And I think it's only going to take the Falcons so far this year and probably not significantly further than where it took the Falcons last year, where those first four games where Raheem Morris took over in weeks six through 10 or six through nine against Minnesota, Detroit, Carolina and uh Denver, their Fal- the Falcons blitz was very effective in those games. But after that point, it was much more hit and miss or really more miss than hit. And then you couple that with the fact that you're probably not going to have the quality of secondary play in Atlanta this upcoming season as Pease had in Tennessee in 2018 and 2019, which means you're probably getting that pressure, particularly with the four guys up front is going to be a little bit more important than maybe it was in those days in Tennessee, where he was able to get away with not being able to get as much pressure on the quarterback because of how good his back end is, which was similar to what the Falcons were able to successfully put together competent at times defenses earlier in Dan Quinn's tenure because of how good they had the secondary playing in years like 2016, 2017, when guys like Trufant and Alford and Keanu Neal and all those guys were playing well and healthy. So I think similar to what we talked about with the cornerback position, this year is going to be an evaluation year for the players up front. You got guys like Grady Jarrett and John Kaminsky that are entering the final years of their contract next year. Marlon Davidson, obviously, all eyes are going to be on him, whether he makes that leap this upcoming season in year two. And if he's going to be in the mix, going to be a guy that we can consistently rely on and say, okay, whoever are our four guys, you know, being our pass rush, Marlon Davidson is going to be one of those guys. Or will the Falcons look at him and say, look, he didn't make the gains as a pass rusher that we want to see. Maybe it's time for us to look at other options in the draft or a free agency next off season. So that's 
also at stake. Obviously, linebacker position, it's a kind of a make-or-break year for both Deion Jones and Foye Olakun. Foye Olakun is a free agent after this upcoming season, and the Falcons are going to have to consider reworking Deion Jones' contract in some capacity because of his cap hit of like almost $19 million in 2022. And whether that's a restructuring, whether that's extending him, or whether that's trading him, you know, it seems like we're headed to a point where between those two, whichever of those guys has the better year, the team will prioritize bringing the other, that guy back and maybe potentially letting the other one walk in the case of Foya Olakun free agency, or in the case of Deion Jones, you know, shopping that guy in free in, in, a, in a trade similar to what the rumors were that the Falcons at least explored um, trading Deion Jones, you know, back in March uh, before, you know, reworking his contract. And I think what's going to be interesting between those two is when I look at sort of what I think DMPs typically values in a linebacker, it feels like to me, at least based off of their performance in 2020, D, uh, you know, Foye Olakun might be the preferred option. He's a better blitzer. He's a better overall run defender. And while I think Deion Jones's upside in coverage is much higher than Foye Olakun's, I think when you actually look at the data, like there isn't that much of a drop off from Deion Jones to Foye Olakun, at least based off of the much more limited sample size we've had of Foye Olakun in coverage. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But right now, you know, there, obviously there's a scenario where both guys come back. But right now, I, I feel like one of those guys is going to get prioritized and the other guy might be pushed by the wayside. So that's something that we'll have to see play out. Obviously, Dante Fowler, I think his contract voids after this upcoming season. And, you know, I would be very surprised barring him really having another sort of career year like he had uh, two years ago in L.A. with the Rams. And no offense to Grady Jarrett, but Aaron Donald's not walking through that door. Um, So I would be very surprised if Dante Fowler's back. But, you know, nothing's impossible at this point. All things are up for grabs. So when we're talking about the team freeing up cap space, you know, I think all the people that complained about the team not investing enough resources in that side of the ball on defense this past offseason, I think there's a very high probability that you will get your wish next offseason. But where those investments go will depend on how and who plays well this upcoming season. And right now, it's anybody's guess. But one of the things that we will continue to discuss over this summer, which players and which positions, you know, are the units that may wind up, you know, moving in a more positive direction or some of the units that may um, not necessarily move in that direction. And, you know, I just wanted to sort of lay a foundation for that on today's episode, but that's where we're going to leave it guys tomorrow. The plan right now is to do the Taquan Graham scouting report. I know there's mandatory mini camp right now with the Falcons. I know Calvin Ridley is, is dealing with a, a foot injury or whatever the case may be. And this going to be out till training camp. So maybe that's something if there's other bigger news that happens in terms of mini camp, we might address that and, and punt the take one Graham scouting report to Monday. Um, but right now the plan is to uh, get that take one Graham scouting report out. Uh, so I don't have to necessarily keep delaying all these scouting reports. So we'll see what happens, you know, right now with the mandatory mini camp, you know, I don't know if there's a ton to, to glean from it. It's just kind of standard mini camp stuff, but maybe we'll touch upon that. If not tomorrow, then uh, next week on, on the podcast. But uh, uh, with that being said, you know, I'll do my best to cover all things Atlanta Falcons, but I know you guys probably wonder who's got you covered for 
all the rest of sports and all the other teams. And of course, that's host Peter Bukowski on the Locked On Today podcast. It's all the sports news that you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And guys, if you want to provide your feedback for future Q&As, we're going to have plenty of opportunities in the coming weeks to, uh, you know, fill once we get through minicamp, uh, fill this um, dead time of the summer with Q and A's. So by all means, if you have questions, if you have concerns, send them in via Twitter to locked on Falcons via Facebook to locked on Falcons, or you can send an email to locked on Falcons at mail.com. Appreciate it until then.